0: We had some uh, technical difficulties with our recording, so I just want to begin again. We're looking at, here on day four, the the idea of wisdom, and we're looking at it in terms of wisdom is the competence in regards to how life really works. And so the the, the key thing is really to begin to understand how your heart really works, so in many ways what what comes out of our heart whether it's complaining or whining or or anxiety or depression this is this is an indication that we're we're holding on to false expectations unmet expectations false assumptions unrealistic expectations and if if we understand this definition Unrealistic, unmet expectations are telling us we don't understand how life really works. And wisdom would allow us to look at these symptoms and begin to say, how can I make some changes in the way my heart works so that I can live and navigate life well? The heart is more than just an emotional center. The heart is the control center of your being. It's, it's the place where your deepest convictions are. It's the place where your deepest commitments are. And so when it really comes down to what God is, is wanting to connect with you, he wants to connect with you on a heart level. And so one of the biggest issues in the heart is really the discernment between positive fear A negative fear. See, wisdom has to be then a competence in regards to how fear really works. And what what fear you will allow in your heart. And what fear you want to dismiss from your heart. To devalue. To get rid of. And to not base any of your decisions on fear that is negative. So the, the idea is there's a positive fear. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And there's a negative fear, which 366 times in the scripture it says, Fear not in some form or another. So that negative fear is a destructive kind of fear. So your heart needs to make this kind of evaluation, waiting, and analyzing. What kind of fear have I allowed? to reside in my heart. Because when it comes to what stays in your heart, it really is up to you. It's your decision. You're the one waiting, in a sense. You're the one who gives value to something. So the Bible's saying there's a positive fear, the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. Well, what does that mean? Well, if you come to really know and understand the greatness of God, you will have positive fear of God. Job came to that place for many, many chapters, (laughs) many, many chapters, almost 40 chapters, I would say. Job is like, I need my day in court. I want to ask you some questions. And then he, in chapter 42, he says this, and he's speaking to God. He says, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is that? Who is this that obscures my counsel without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now, and I will speak. I will question you, and you shall answer me. And Job says, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. You see, this is this is true wisdom. Job has taken from being on the offense and saying, God you've got to answer to me to realizing God is the one asking questions of Job of of realizing that that God knows things and God understands things that Job will never understand and Job repents of his of his in a sense accusing that God you have to answer to me see this is the beginning of true wisdom but it doesn't really stop there there's more to learn even from Job in this you see when Job, was, when Job was questioning God, what is really apparent is that Job felt all alone. He, fought, he, he thought that God had forsaken him, that he was desolate. I mean, certainly think everything in the world that had mattered to him was taken from him. Even his friends were little more than frenemies in the sense of miserable counsel that they were giving to him. At the same time, where his friends were off, is that they thought that because he was suffering, he had to have have committed sin, that the the suffering was caused by his sinful activity. And God makes clear, and the book of Job makes clear, that his actions and his behaviors had in no way caused the loss that whatever... Sinfulness there might have been in Job's life, for none of us are without sin, but whatever sinfulness in his life was not proportionate to all that he had lost. Yet, what the story shows with Job is, though he was was not the cause of his loss, he also was not alone in his loss, and he was never forsaken. You see, when you acknowledge, as Job did, the grandeur of God, the revelation of God's grandeur, you have to also acknowledge, and I think the book of Job points us to this, that there's one who who was totally innocent, yet was utterly forsaken. There was one who never deserved punishment, yet he was punished to the fullest. He became not only the curse, but he became the sin that then drew the curse of God upon himself. He never had to be alone, yet he chose to be completely alone, forsaken of God, despised and rejected. You see, if, if we're really going to move to spiritual discernment, not only must we draw close to a fearsome God, but we have to draw close to a fearsome God through the Lord Jesus himself. And we must recognize that Jesus hurt so that we don't have to hurt. You see, you, you, on the one hand, see, Job could acknowledge the awesome character of God, but he didn't know Jesus. And so he didn't know, he wasn't sure if God was the one who hurt him. And so he couldn't get as close as you can get because you know that Jesus was hurt so that you don't have to be hurt. So all of these people are constantly saying, God is punishing me because I didn't do this or because I did that. And are seeing this God as a hurtful, vindictive God. They do not know the wisdom of God. They do not know the cross. And you cannot move in spiritual discernment till you both acknowledge how great God is and yet how for you God is. There are some who want to speak of him as for them, but they don't realize his greatness, his fear, the fearfulness of our God. But there are some who only see the holiness and the consuming fire that is our God and do not know really how to draw near. And you cannot have true spiritual discernment without both. And and it goes even more personal than that. You can't have a heart at rest, especially a heart at rest from negative fear, until you see both. He is great, but he will not hurt me. I, I've been meditating for a, a, a while now, a, a hymn from from the early part of the 20th century by a woman, Anne Waring. I just want to quote a couple of verses. Father, I know that all my life is, a por- is portioned out for me. So in other words, she's acknowledging God is the one giving her life and the, and the one who's super intending her life. And she says, and the changes that are sure to come, I do not fear to see, but I ask thee for a present mind intent on pleasing thee. You see, that's that's the positive fear. I want to please you. I know you will not hurt me. I know you are holy. I know you're great. And I want to please you. Then second verse, this is the one I like so much. I ask thee for a thoughtful love, because it's got to come out of love instead of fear. Through constant watching wise to meet the glad with joyful smiles and wipe the weeping eyes and a heart at leisure from itself to soothe and sympathize. It's, it's such a powerful, it's such a powerful thing, this, this, this picture, a heart at leisure from itself. You see, to to really hear and be able to apply the wisdom of God in your life, to be spiritually discerning, you must have a heart at leisure from itself. Now, Eugene Peterson, he he called the heart not at leisure from itself. He called it your clamoring ego. And he says, your clamoring ego must be purged from your soul. From every Christian soul, he said, for that matter. But he says, if you're in any leadership position at all, you're at special risk when you have a clamoring ego. We are at our best when we get out of our way. When we get out of the way, like John the Baptist said, I must decrease, he must increase. But what does it look like? Well, it means that the clamoring ego from our soul is is purged, cleansed, submitted to God. When we embrace our weakness that, that we really can't get where we are destined to go in our own strength. And when we choose that primary among everything else about our lives is that we serve Jesus. Now, given that every believer is spiritually alive in Christ, and is in union with God, that's that's our position as believers, why do we still struggle so with the clamoring ego? Well, One of the indicators of the clamoring ego, or a heart not at leisure from itself, is anxiety, fear. Now if you think about, again, I'm going to unpack a little bit about negative fear, the con- there's a contrast of positive fear, which means there's a certain amount of caution. There's a certain amount of awareness that fear can give you that is essential for safety. And it's essential for survival. You know, and And it gives you the focus on things that you really care about, whether it's your family or doing your job well or your own health or any of those things. There can be a positive aspect. But I, I actually like to, instead of calling that fearfulness or anxiety, I, I think of it as caution or, again, as wisdom, knowing how things work. But this negative sense of fear is that we we really learned and, and in some ways we continue to default to how to live without God. So fear becomes a power source for living apart from God. I have to take care of myself. I have to protect myself. I have to provide for myself. So in a way, not only is everything we learned before we came to Christ programmed into our memory banks, but we continue to reinforce that I've got to be fearful because it's a dangerous world and I have to take care of myself and nobody cares for me quite like me. Now, in the the scripture, the primary word for anxiety actually has positive and negative connotations. There's 25 uses of the Greek word that is translated anxiety in the New Testament. But only five times out of the 25 is it about concern or caring. But the other 20 times, it's always about worry. And it's a very negative connotation when it is used. And what what we really need to get at is it's a spiritual issue, not just a chemical or psychological issue. To be anxious is to be double-minded. To be anxious is to say, on the one hand, God is good, but live as if God is not. To say, on the one hand, God will not hurt me, but to live as if he's hurting you. So there's a double-mindedness. And here's the problem with double-mindedness. If you have a positive and a negative and you're double-minded, so you say God is good, but there's also this fear God is not good. When life hits you with the unexpected, when your own expectations are not met, then your default heart setting will go to the negative. This is why you have to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Because if you allow a positive and a negative to exist in your heart with equal value or validity. When the negative comes, then the negative belief will take over and the positive belief will be shoved aside. This is the way the heart works. And this is particularly the way that fear works. You see, you've got to remember that fear and love cannot exist together. Perfect love casts out fear. So there's always a choice of the heart. Will I live by fear? Which again, can I, I mean, let me drill this in. If you're living by fear, you're living out of a clamoring ego, which means it's pride. Fear never accompanies humility, fear is always connected to pride. Only love can accompany humility, and only humility can accompany love. So the motivation of the heart, again, I said wisdom wisdom is in regards to how the heart works. So the heart is either going to reject fear or reject love. The heart is either going to listen to the clamoring ego, pride, or it's going to listen to the humility and yielded dependence on the Holy Spirit and on God himself and his word. So James is really clear, and he says, if you live out of double-mindedness, you're going to be unstable, he says, in all your ways in James 1.8. Jesus explained this very well in Matthew 6, verses 24 and 25. He said, no one can serve two masters. You'll either hate the one and love the other, or you'll hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. For this reason I say to you, listen, <laughs> do not be anxious for your life. Jesus gives no place for negative fear. He's saying your heart, the control center of your of your being, has to begin to say, negative fear is destructive to me. But he's saying it's even more than that. He's saying it's an access. the enemy. He's saying, you're making a decision when you live out of anxiety, you're making a decision that your master is not the Lord. Because anxiety says, I can't trust the Lord to take care of this. Or anxiety says, I know better than the Lord how to take care of this, and he's not doing it. And he's not doing it in a timely fashion. Anxiety is really a simple thing in a way it's believing that an outcome, a result has to happen or that you deserve it happening, but you do not have the ability or the right to control the people or the circumstances involved so there's a there's an objective there's an outcome there's something that you want, something that you feel you need but It depends on other people or it depends on circumstances outside of your control. You don't have the right, you don't have the ability. So what happens is I still want it or I still feel I need it, but I can't control it. And so fear comes in and that fear is expressed in anxiety. And uh, often anxiety, why anxiety is such a strong uh, negative fear it's because anxiety has to do with dread—the dread that it will not happen, that it cannot happen—which then leads to I can uh, I can't be happy, I can't be satisfied, I can't be fulfilled because this will never happen. Anxiety uh, usually circles around an "if" kind of question. You know, uh, if such and such would happy would happen, then I would be happy. If so and so would do this, then I would be happy. You see, it's depending on. S- you know, if, if I get this job, I will be happy. If I'm able to buy this house, if I'm able to do th- this, that, you know, things outside of my total control. And I'm, But I'm basing my happiness, my satisfaction, my sense of, of peace on this, on this outcome. But I can't control it. And it creates a sense of dread about the future. It can create even a sense of hopelessness about the future. And so Jesus is saying, you understand, when you give in to this negative fear called worry, anxiety, then what you're doing is you're serving the wrong master. Because you're not, you're not believing that Jesus knows exactly what you need to eat, what you need to drink, what clothes you need to wear, the house you need to live in, the job you need. You can't believe that he can be trusted. And yet Jesus says, the answer to anxiety, seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you, that your father who cares for the sparrows cares more for you. Your father who clothed the lilies cares more for you than those. So what, what we have to see is not just suppress our anxiety, Because if you just suppress it, it'll still be there. If you still restrain it, you're not free from it. But you have to go deeper and say, what is broken in my trust mechanism that I can't trust my Father in heaven for the things that will make me happy, for the things that will make me safe, for the things that will make me feel satisfied and fulfilled? Why do I have expectations or why do I have assumptions about things that are never true? And why do I not understand the promises of God in my life in such a way that they're coming true in my life and they're fulfilling my deepest needs and my deepest desires? Well, listen listen to what James says. I think James is helpful here. In James 4, he says, God gives greater grace. But he says it this way. God is opposed to the proud. So in other words, you must understand that when you're expressing negative fear, you're expressing pride. So God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So really and truly, the way of getting your needs met is actually counterintuitive. It's not expressing more, "I, I have a right to this, I deserve this, you owe me a better life. But rather, coming in and saying, no, that's prideful. Me demanding that it looks like this, that it takes place at this time, that's actually not wisdom, that's pride. And the word of God is really clear that God opposes the proud. So instead, I go back and I humble myself and say, Lord, I I don't even know what to ask for. I don't even know what to want. And it's amazing when you humble yourself and you... You, you lay at the altar your agenda, your demands, your schemes, how the Lord gives greater grace because he gives grace to the humble. But here's what this means, and this is why I say lay it at the altar because it says, Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. In a way, what what. What this has to do with negative fear is that when we are submitting to fear, we're not submitting to God. You can't serve two masters. So we have to cease. We have to reject submission to fear. When you do submit yourself to God, this the word used here is you're, you're coming under his authority. You're beginning to trust that he has a plan for your life that's better than your plan for your life. That his timing is better than your timing. That his resources will avail and get you to your destination. So you come under his agenda. Instead of the agenda of fear, you start coming under his agenda and say, God, I acknowledge that you're everywhere present. I acknowledge that you're all powerful. Again, remember, fear of the Lord is the beginning. You begin to realize he's really the only thing to be afraid of, and he won't hurt you. He's only going to love you as a son, as a daughter. But in this in this place, in this instance, it's beginning to realize I've put a lot of confidence in my fear. See, that's the same as saying I've put confidence in my flesh. I've put confidence in my ability and my power to do things out of fear or anger or anxiety. I mean, how many people write their papers take tests out of fear when they're in school? How many people clean their houses out of fear that somebody will see how messy they are? We've done so many things out of fear that we don't even know we're doing it anymore. But it says, if, if fear is there, pride is there. And God opposes the proud. If fear is there, the flesh is there. And the Bible says, put no confidence in the flesh, but choose to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Submitting to fear is the opposite of submitting to God. But not submitting to God isn't simply leaving a vacuum. It's actually, James is saying, it's submitting to the enemy. Resist the devil and he will flee. Discernment, again, I just want to remind you, discernment in its fullness takes place in a practice heart. Fine-tuned to hear the word of God, single-minded, to follow the word in love comes out of a prayerful life. Why am I talking about fear and a heart at leisure from itself? Because the search for self-knowledge is a part of this wisdom journey. You have to be trained, Hebrews 5 says, to distinguish good from evil. You understand, good is simple. It's that which is of God. And it draws you nearer to God. Evil, that which looks good but is not of God, and takes you away from God. Because of our little bit of uh, te- technical difficulty today, I'm running a little late, but I, I want I want you to understand the true spiritual wisdom understands that you're in a spiritual war. This is not simply self improvement. This is spiritual warfare. 1 John three eight, the Son of God appeared to destroy the works of the devil. Hebrews 2.14, Christ took on human nature that through death he might destroy him who has the power of death, that is, the devil. Colossians 2.15, God disarmed the principalities and powers and made a public example of them, triumphing over them in him. In other words, the decisive blow was struck at Calvary, and one day when Satan's time of limited freedom is over, Revelation 20.10 says the devil will be thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone and will be tormented day and night forever and ever. What does that mean for those of us who follow Jesus Christ? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Neither angels nor principalities nor powers nor anything else shall separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. He who is in us is stronger than he who is in the world first john we conquer him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony see what wisdom is saying to you today is a trumpet is sounding in, in 2021 and here's the trumpet sounding resist the devil resist fear reject fear the negative fear resist the devil and he will flee from you he has been defeated and we have been given the victory now it is time for us to live in that victory and to make Satan know his defeat. So how do I do this practically? Well, I believe you've got to be inspired. That's why I read those verses. But practically, you have to begin to analyze your fear, submitting it to God's authority. It means you've got to ask a question, what am I afraid of? Is the Holy Spirit bringing up memories where the fear first started? What are the lies behind every limiting fear? The Holy Spirit will give you the lie behind the fear. How have you been living under the control of fear rather than living by faith in God? Has fear prevented you from doing what is right and responsible or has it compelled you to do what is wrong and irresponsible? Confess to God. This is how you get free. Confess to God any active or passive way in which you have allowed fear to control your life. You have not been given a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. Would you receive this prayer from me about your fears, the negative fears? Again, wisdom is is competence in regard to dealing with fear. Positive fear. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Negative fear. Be anxious for nothing. So would you stand with me in this? And would you say these words with me? I'd like, Lord, I confess my fear my anxiety, and my pride. I renounce them. I give back the ground that the enemy has gained in my heart through fear. I submit myself to God. I resist the devil. And I demand that the spirit of fear flee from me. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen.